Well, in Malachi chapter 4, turn with me to the book of Malachi. That's the last book of the Old Testament. And we're going to look at the last chapter, Malachi chapter 4. And uh, I, I want to talk to you about your heart's focus and, uh, and as it relates to the times that we're living in. What, where is your heart? You know, the Bible tells us that, that you put your treasure where your heart is. And where your heart is, there your treasure is also. I think that's the exact words. For where your heart is, your treasure is also. But where your treasure is, there's your heart. I mean, it's, it works both ways. And um, and we need to we need to turn our hearts in the right direction in these last days. Amen. We've heard this morning the news about what's happening in Israel, uh, the uh, the worst attack on Israel in fifty years. Over a thousand people are already killed. And thousands of rockets are being, you know, uh, dropped on Israel, and it could escalate. There are people in in the world who are wanting a third world war. This whole business in the Ukraine, and this that's going on now in in uh, Israel, and what's happening over in, you know, in the uh, Far East concerning Taiwan. A lot of these things are are. Uh, are not accidental. They're, they're serious attempts by people, even in our own government, in our own country, traitors, yeah. traitors in our own government, in our own country, that are wanting to plunge the world into world war. Yeah. They're trying desperately to do it. Even to the point of we're providing weapons and money to the enemy in order that they can participate in a war against us. It's crazy. The bombs that are falling on Israel are bombs that were purchased with money we gave to Iran. Y'all remember the boatloads of cash that we gave to Iran? That our president Obama sent over there? Plain loads of cash? Well, they, they didn't spend that money taking care of their hungry people and, and taking care of... Uh, uh, their own country. They spent that money on on weapons, bought them from our own military uh, manu weapons manufacturers, and gave them. Maybe they kept the new weapons and gave their old weapons to Hamas, and now Hamas is using those weapons against Israel that we paid for with our tax dollars. Now, if that don't get your dander up, uh, nothing will. And all this nonsense going on in Ukraine. You know, there wouldn't be a war in Ukraine right now if the United States didn't break his, uh, our word. We broke a treaty. We, we, through NATO, had a treaty with Russia that we would never uh, put... Uh, 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 weapons in the Ukraine and we would never turn Ukraine into a NATO country and and that bought us years and years and years of peace with Russia but then we decided we these insane traitorous truce breakers and covenant breakers that are in our government today decided for some reason 
they were just going to break that treaty and they started talking about making Ukraine a NATO country and putting putting rocket launchers and missile launchers right on the border of Russia to where we could bomb Moscow in five minutes. And for some strange reason, Moscow didn't like that. And they said, you know, we're, we're not going to allow that. And so then they attacked the Ukraine. And we're making Moscow and the Russians out to be the, the villains in this whole thing when it's our own people for the sake of money, greed, and power are trying to stir up these wars so that they can sell their bullets. Sell, and then... And then we send billions and billions and billions of dollars to protect the borders of Ukraine, and we don't send anything to our own borders to protect our own borders. I'm fed up with it. And it has nothing to do with Republican and Democrat. We don't have a Republican and Democratic Party. We have a uniparty. And they're all scallywags and traitors. Amen. And I, 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 I dare you to prove me wrong. We got one or two good guys up there, but Ben, their hands are tied. It's called it's called uh, you know majority vote. They vote against it. That senator from Tennessee, what's his name? Uh, uh, oh, you know, Paul, Rand Paul. I like that guy. He votes against everything. <laughs> he votes against Kentucky. He votes against everything. And uh, and he's pretty outspoken, and he's pretty he's on he's on the money, but he's just one vote. He's just one vote, and so we need to pray for our leadership that God will purge us of the rats. Amen. Amen. And get some good folks in there, like like Rand Paul, like you know, I, I, I'm at a loss to name another. But anyway, <laughs> there might be one or two others. Amen? Say, Pastor, you're talking politics. No, I'm not. I'm talking, let's save America. Amen. Praise God. And, and, I, and are you in Malachi yet? Malachi <laughs> chapter 4? He, he starts off talking about the great day of God. For behold, the day is coming. Everybody say, the day. Now, in the Bible, a day is a day. That was established in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, when God created the earth, He called, he called uh, uh, sun up to sun up, that 24-hour period, He called it a day. And so when you read in the Bible, the day of the Lord, He's not talking about, he's not talking about a, a, a long extended period. He's talking about a day. You see, there's a day coming when Jesus is going to appear in the clouds, He's going to split the heavens open. He's going to come down and set His feet upon the Mount of Olives there in Israel. And that mountain's going to split in half. And He's going to have fire coming out of His eyes and His mouth. And He's going to devour His enemies that day. That day it's going to be over. And where you are and where you stand on that day is going to depend on whether or not you're destroyed or saved. Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. And all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up. 
says the Lord of hosts. Now that's going to happen because of who said it. See, when God says something, you're not changing it. That will leave them neither root nor branch. I mean, he's going to burn them up so much as it's going to burn their roots. You know what that means? They'll never spring up again. But to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. And you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet, before the coming of the great and, de great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the hearts of the children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. I believe that these are the days that he's talking about there. The days leading up to the great dreadful day of the Lord. I know and you know that we're headed we're headed in that direction fast. You know, we've been we've been watching for this all of our lives and it seemed like it was never going to get here. But now it's like we're approaching a stop sign in the distance at 100 miles an hour. For a long time it just seems like it's just still way out there, but when you get close, we close that distance real fast. You better start applying the brakes. Amen. And that's where we are. We know we know in our knower that's where we are. We're living in the last days. They are upon us. And he said in those last days, I am going to change the focus of people. And they are they are going to become focused on on uh, uh, the young. The fathers will be focused on the children. But I'm also going to change the focus of the children to the fathers. In other words, we're going to be looking to each other. We're going to be looking to each other. And we're going to be looking out for each other. Yeah. Us old guys, we're going to start focusing on the young guys. And we're going to start thinking about what's good for them. What's right for them. We're going to be thinking about their future. We're going to be trying to do everything we can to pour into them everything we've got. And lend them our wisdom and our expertise and our strengths. And these young guys are going to be looking to us saying, we're going to show you respect. We're going to honor you. And we're going to, we're going to come to you and ask you for advice. And we're going to give you the honor that you're due because you've been down this road before us and, and we need your help. And, and, and the whole focus is going to be like a generation to generation synergy. Amen. You know what a synergy is? It's when it all comes together. Synergy is uh, the generational synergy is when when the energy and the anointings of our forefathers and and our grandfathers and our fathers and our present generation and the generation that's coming up when all of our energies and all of our giftings and all of our anointings comes together in one culmination at the end and we're living in that generational synergy. You understand synergy. A synergy is when all everything is all pulled into one pot. 
And that is, that is what's happening before the end of, uh, before the great day of the Lord comes. Amen. I think it's interesting that, that the theme of this uh, world conference that I just came from was from generation to generation. And they talked a lot about, about uh, generational relationships and generational concerns, multi-generational concerns. And, uh, and, and when, even when we honored uh, Mom and Papa Dorn, you know, it was, it was my privilege to get up and, and talk about them. And they're gone. I mean, they're in heaven. I said, they're probably leaning over the, you know, the balcony of heaven looking down on us right now. But what they did in, in over 70 years of ministry together, did you know that Mom and Papa Dorn started a church, founded a new church before they even got married? They were in a group of young ministers, and uh, they went to they went to found a church. They founded this church, and then a year later, Mom and Papa Dorn got married in that church. So even before they were married, they were working together in ministry. They were married for over seventy years. God bless them, and and they spent their whole lifetime, uh, you know, building the kingdom of God. And uh, and I, I I brought out the fact that even though they're gone. We're standing on the shoulders of these people. We're standing on the shoulders of people like them. Not just them, but people like them from the previous generation. We're benefiting from what they did. They, they sacrificed. They paid the tremendous price to establish the work of God and the kingdom of God in the earth. And now we, uh, we don't have to go back and redig those foundations and relay those foundations, but we can... We can build upon the work that has already been built, and we don't have to. We don't have to sacrifice like they did. Now, there's a sacrifice for us, but it's not going to be like they did. It's going to be different. But it, everything's going to go faster. It's like a relay race. Anybody ever run a relay race? You know, there's four legs to it. Uh, you know, the first person that grabs that baton and starts running, his job is to set the pace. The, net, the second leg of that is he's just supposed to keep that pace and maintain that pace, not lose any ground. And then the third leg of that is the same as the second. He's supposed to keep the pace, keep it up, maybe increase it a little bit. But that person who is the anchor, who runs that fourth leg, what's his job? His job is to go all out to the point that when he finishes, when he goes across to the finish line, there's nothing left. He just passes out and collapses. Well, we're in that anchor leg. The, the, you know, the generations before us, they started it, they established it, they kept it going, they maintained the pace, they maintained the work, but now we're, we're in that group of people that there's nothing left to do but go all out. To be sold out. We're not supposed to be laid back and retiring. We're supposed to be sprinters. Sprinting towards the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen? Running the race unencumbered and unweighted down with weights and sins and things that so easily beset us. But running the race all out and when we cross that finish line, God help you if you've got anything left. You're not supposed to have anything left. You're supposed to spend it all. You know what that tells me? I'm living in a generation that's going to be alive when that great day comes. So there's no retirement. I'm not. I haven't set any money aside to retire on. I have no intentions of retiring. So why save for it? 
Now I've got I've got Social Security. That was federally enforced savings, and I'm and I'm and I'm not ashamed to be collecting. Praise God, my Social Security check pays our rent every month. Thank God. That's what enables us to continue being your pastor. And if we didn't have that, man, God would have to provide some other way. But I'm thankful for it. But I'm, I'm telling you what, I'm not, I'm not thinking about retirement. I'm thinking about refirement. And I'm thinking about, okay, God, where's my focus? And my focus is not going to be on a bunch of old folks. And if you're an old folk, you need to understand, I'm serving you notice right now. I'm not focusing on you. That is unbiblical. You understand what I'm saying? That's unbiblical. We're living in the day where us old folks have got to be focusing on the young folks. I think more about Samuel every day than I think about some of the rest of you. Why? Because he's the young folks. Amen. We got some young folks back here. We we've got Robert and uh, and and Chance. I don't know where they are this morning, but you know we're fo- we focus on them. And if we had 50 of them, we'd be happy. If we had 100 of them, we'd be double happy. If we had 300 of them, we'd, be, we'd have an army. I, I'd feel like Gideon. Yeah. Amen? Amen? And, and, and it's, it's no offense to you. It's, it's, not, it's not that I, I'm, I'm neglecting you. I have, poured, I have poured out 27, 30 years of my life into you. Amen. And that's an investment I expect a return on. The seeds that I've poured into you are the Word of God seeds, and I, I and now some of you are you know Diane. I've only known you three weeks, but but I've poured out I've poured seeds in it for three weeks now. I'm expecting a harvest, Amen. But but uh, that harvest needs to show up in our 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 focus, our our vision, our attention being turned towards this next generation, because soon we'll be gone. Just turn around twice. And, 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 and many of us will be gone. So what we do between now and our departure time, uh, we, we need to empty out. Like that guy in the race. You know. If you're, if you're, past, if you're past 70, it's time for you to empty out. And give everything you've got to some young squirt. Pick somebody. <laughs> A grandson. Uh, you know, a, uh, a next door neighbor kid. Any, any young person you can find that you can just focus on and pour, pour into, just do it. Just do it. Amen? <laughs> Don't hold anything back. Squeeze it all out. That's biblical. That's what he's talking about here. Uh, uh, look in Mark chapter 8. Oh man, let, let's start. Uh, let me give you some background here first. In, in the first part of Mark chapter 8, the disciples of Jesus, they're walking along the road towards uh, Caesarea Philippi. And they're talking. And they're saying, well, when Jesus comes and sets up, his, when he set, his kingdom is set up, which one of us is going to be the greatest? Which one of us is going to get to sit at his right hand? Which one of us is going to get to sit at his left hand? And they got into an argument over it. Because, you know, there's only one right hand, only one left hand, and there's 12 of them. And so they got kind of divisive. And uh, Jesus, knowing what they were talking about, 
knowing what was in their hearts, uh, he had something to say to them. So let's let's start with verse uh, 27. It says, Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road, see, it was on, the, it was on that same road that they were having this talk, this argument. And on the road, he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist. But some say Elijah. Everybody say Elijah. Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, by divine revelation, Peter answered, You are the Christ. And in another uh, gospel, he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you know, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but the father in heaven revealed it to you. And uh, then it's then uh, then. Uh, <laughs> and the reason I read this verse is, is for that one, that one word there, Elijah. Why did some people say Jesus was Elijah? Why did some people say that he was the prophet Elijah? What, what was there about Jesus that would make them think that he was a prophet Elijah? I believe it was Malachi chapter 4. Because Jesus had a, a great affinity for the children. And he was always trying to get them to focus on, on a generational thing. Look in Mark chapter 9 verse 33. And it's it's basically the same the same situation. Uh, he came to Capernaum, Mark nine thirty three, and when he was in the house, he asked them, "What was it you disputed among yourselves on the road?" So we're talking about the same incident, but they kept silent. For on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest, and he sat down and called the twelve and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Y'all familiar with this? Oh, yeah. Did you know that word servant is a mistranslation of the, of the Greek word? You know what that word servant really should have been translated? Slave. He who desires to be first he shall be last of all and slave of all. Amen. You guys are wanting to sit at the right hand, the left hand, so you can rule over everybody else. But he said, if you want to be first in my kingdom, you've got to become everyone's slave. You know what a slave is? A slave is a person who lives for his masters. Who has no property, has no rights, has no ambition other than his master's ambition. And on the flip side of that, who is completely and totally taken care of by his master. Amen. In other words, he has no debts. He has no, he has no property. He has no nothing. You know, uh, um, the Levites, the tribe of Levi, they, they were basically the, the slaves of the, of the house of the Lord. You know, God told Moses, he, he said, now, uh, the Levites are going to not own any property. They don't have any inheritance in the land. They're going to live off the tithes. They're going to live off the tithes. 
And the tithes will be for them to live off of. But he said they're going to give their lives in service to the tabernacle. In service to the holy things. Anybody else comes in there and touches those holy things, they're going to die. Only the Levites. But the Levites basically were God's slaves. A whole tribe. He picked out a whole tribe and made them his servants or his slaves. And their purpose was to serve him in the house of the Lord. And they were not given any property, any inheritance. No, they were just going to be taken care of by God. So it's not, it's not necessarily a bad thing to be a slave of God. But we've got this idea that you know, we've got rights and we, we can own property and we can, we can have our own deal and all that. Well, you know, most Christians don't live like slaves. We're, we're at best weekend warriors. We show up at church, you know, and give God a yay God, yay God, and think we've done our service. And God's not looking for servants. He's looking for slaves. And He'll promote slaves to sons. The only way to become a son in the kingdom of God is to become a slave first. Yeah. Paul talked about that. He says, you know, we start out like children in a house with a governor you know, or a governess. And, and we're no different than the, than the slaves. But after we get some maturity and after we grow up and we learn some discipline and we actually become true disciples, then we're promoted. We're promoted to sons. And, and you know, we, we go off saying, I'm a son of God. I'm a child of God. Royal blood flows in my vein. I've got rights. I, I've got authority. No, you've got nothing until you first become God's slave. Praise God. You can tell I've been hanging around Adam Cole. I told him I, he's, we were talking about this and he's got a whole lot of ideas and I said write a book write a book it'll be one of the most unpopular book in, in the, in the, on the bookshelves because people don't like that kind of talk especially us Americans you know we got our rights well we do have rights as Americans but we don't have any rights in the kingdom we have a king <laughs> and you know who owns the kingdom the king you know who calls the shots in the kingdom? The king. Hello. I kind of cringe when I hear these people talking about commanding angels to go do this and go do that and all this kind of stuff. And I'm thinking, you know, uh, uh, be careful. The angels are here to serve us, but they're here. They're, they're servants of the king. Amen. And, they, and they, they take their orders. The Bible says they hearken unto the voice of the Lord. <laughs> the voice of his word uh, you know praise God so you start bossing the angels around they're going to look at you like when did you become a son you haven't been a slave yet so you got to bow your knee before you can Whew. man I, I wouldn't go in there at all okay look what happened they, when he said that he, he shall be last of all and servant of all then he took a little child here's, here's the Elijah he took a little child and set him in the midst of them now when you, when you set something in the middle of a group of people what are you doing 
You're drawing attention to it. You're calling their focus to focus on that child. Right? That's an Elijah function. In the last days, God said, I'll send, I'll send Elijah and he will what? He'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And what's Jesus doing? He's setting a child in the midst of them. These men who are vying for position in the kingdom of Jesus, these men who are trying to exalt themselves and who are arguing over who's going to be the greatest, these men, he's saying, focus on this child. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Everything God has is going to come through our focusing on what God focuses on. And Jesus is focusing our attention on the next generation. If you're not focused on the next generation, you're looking at the wrong stuff. Amen. Amen. One of the prevailing outcries today in our society is over the children. In politics. And in the movies. We're, we, we've got movies about child trafficking. Save the children. Have you heard that lately? Save the children. How about, uh, you know, the children belong to God. They're God's children. Uh, we're, we're living. Listen, people, we are living in the days of Malachi 4. We're living. We are there. And God is, has set the children, the next generation, in our midst. And he's calling our attention to them. And he's turning our focus on them. And he's telling us, set your heart there. It's easy when you've got grandchildren to think about your grandchildren and their lives. But what are you doing about it? When your grandchildren are around you, are you heaping gifts upon them? And, and are you giving them little video games to play with? And are you allowing them... You know, certain privileges mom and dad don't give them and, and you're basically corrupting them with candy and all that kind of stuff. Are you being the typical uh, grandparent? Or are you pouring your life into them like you're in the last leg of a race and you don't want anything left? When you pass from this world, you want that child, that grandchild to have everything you've got. I was thinking about that, you know, in relation to my grandchildren. And Ruth has been like this ever since I've known her. She's always pouring in to her grandbabies. When they're with us, she's teaching them how to read. She's teaching them the ABCs. You know, it drives me crazy. Just constant. A, A, say A, A, B, Say B, B, and and it's just it's just it's constant. And then then she's pouring into them 
Bible stories and and uh, and and gives them gives them books, picture books of of of, of Bible stories and Jesus and all that. And we send them home, you know, hoping that those books don't just get put on a shelf or or, or tossed aside, hoping that they continue to look at them and read them. And uh, that's you know that depends largely on the parents. And uh, but you know we pour into these kids. We pour into them. and I'm th- I think about you know my two grandkids, Ethan and Marley. I'll guarantee you, Ethan and Marley always have a Bible. We see to that. And every time we can, you know, we we uh, we send them something that's related to that. And uh, but I, I was thinking, I was thinking about Ethan uh, just on the airplane coming home, and I was thinking, what more could I do? And I got this idea. I'm going to write him a letter because when I'm with him, you know, it's it, a lot of it is just shallow talk, you know, about his car, about his job at Starbucks, you know, about all this kind of stuff. And I don't don't really ever get to ask him the important questions. So I'm just going to write him a letter, and it'll be it'll be the letter of all letters, folks. I'm going to pour my heart and soul into it. I'm going to beg him. I'm going to beg him to put God first in his life. And I'm not saying he he doesn't have these priorities, but I'm saying he's not. He's going to hear about it from Grandpa. Amen. I, I remember Wendy. She wrote letters to her grandkids. You know, I think she did that before she met you, John. Yeah. And uh, right after she met you, I mean, she she wrote she wrote some, and and I, I got I got to look at a couple of them, you know, and it was like, whoa, wow, well, Grandma's laying it on here, telling these kids what's important to her, and asking them to make those things part of their values, and um, and uh, I I believe in that. I, I and I'm not just going to rely on letters. I'm going to you know, thank God we've got phones that we can look at them face to face and say I love you son amen I talk to my daughter every day I talk to my son in one form or another you know every day text messaging phone calls whatever and I, I reaffirm to them that I love them and I and I'm always asking about their spiritual uh, life and about their church where are they going why are they going there how come they're not going? <laughs> you know, uh, what's the matter with you? I raised you better than that. You know, I mean, just, just, they're going to know where, I, my kids know where I stand. My grandkids know where I stand. And of course, you know, Marley knows that I think she's an angel, uh, you know, and, and perfect in every way. But I, it, when, you know, when I was there a couple weeks ago, I, 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 I slept in her room. You know, she took, she took a, couch somewhere in the house. I slept in her room. Grandpa looked at every book on her shelf. Grandpa, Grandpa examined, you know, her decor, and and uh, and you know, I'm looking, I'm looking for Bibles. I'm looking for Bible books. I'm I'm looking for some. Uh, I'm looking for the books that we gave her. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? We're focusing on these people. And and it shouldn't just be our family and our grandkids, but it should be any any person younger than you. You know, Adam Culp is you know forty seven years old. I spent a good amount of time with him this week, just pouring into him, loving on him. Don Cameron's older than me, but I treat him like a son. He looks like Papa Smurf. He's got the white hair, the white beard, about this tall, you know. 
And uh, but he he came up to me this week and he 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 looked at me and he said, "I just want to I just want to tell you, you have been a tremendous influence on my life. I thank you for being a father to me." He said, "You were more of a father to me than my own dad." And and I I want to thank you for everything you've done in my life. And he turned to those Kenyan boys and he said, he said, you guys would not be here in America today if it wasn't for this man. <laughs> it's kind of humbling to hear that in your presence. But I'm thinking, that's what I need to do for, for those two Kenyan boys. You know, Don is 76 years old. Those two Kenyan boys, one of them just turned 30 this week. Um, James O'Dour, you know, the head of that marvelous academy, he had his 30th birthday. He's the one I'm pouring into. And one reason why I like to go to the mission field is I like to find these young pastors, these young preachers, and just love on them, cheer them on, put something in them. And, uh, and that's why I don't, do, I don't do crusades. I'm not a crusade preacher. When I, go, when I go on the mission field, I gather up a handful of pastors and young ministers and then I, I just pour into them. I'll pour into them. Some of them are really they try your patience. Some of them are know-it-all. Some of them, you know, you know, they want to do all the talking, so I listen. And then I, I I grab my moment, I wait for my moment, and I grab my moment and I shove me into them. And by that I mean I shove I shove the treasures that are in me, I, I do my best to deposit those treasures in them. Amen. And then it's a tremendous joy to see my son and the Lord, Adam, you know, doing the same thing. And he, he, goes, he goes when I don't go. And he's pouring into these people in the same way that I pour into him. Praise God. I took him to a steakhouse uh, Wednesday. Bought him an expensive steak. And we sat there for two hours, two and a half hours, and I'm just, I'm just pouring into it. Why? Because it won't be long and I'll be gone. Won't be long, I'll be gone from this world. And the only thing that's going to remain is what I deposited in someone else's life. Are you listening to me? Who are you pouring into? Have you turned your heart to the one God has set in your midst. And if you haven't, if you don't know of anybody, if, if, if you can't think of anybody that the Lord has picked out and set before you, ask Him to do it. Say, Lord, I need to pour my life into somebody before I'm gone. Put somebody in front of me. Turn my heart to someone it's easy to talk about turning your hearts to a general populace, you know, you know, a generation. Oh Lord, yeah, help me to focus on the next generation. Well, that that's great. That's a start. But then you need to you need to pinpoint someone in that generation and narrow your focus down and really you know zoom in on somebody and then start investing in their life. Amen. If they're going to college, help them buy their books. Amen. If they're going on a mission trip, there's not a single person in my life 
who goes on his first missions trip that I don't contribute to it. I've contributed. <laughs> I contributed to Jimmy's mission trip personally. I've contributed to every one of you who've gone on a missions trip. If your son or daughter goes on a mission trip, I'm on the first, on the very first one, and I I love to be the first one to contribute to it. I like being first. And uh, Dan Block's girls, all all of Dan Block's girls have gone on mission trips. I've supported. I've given to every one of them. They don't even go to this church anymore. But I raised them. Matter of fact, they wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for me. Because I poured my life into Dan and Sherry when they were in a point in their life when they were about to break up. We sat down with them and we we fought that battle with them and we got them back into covenant with each other and we got them, we got them, you know, strong and bonded with each other. And then along comes their two other daughters. They wouldn't exist if we hadn't poured into their lives. I'm telling you folks, it's nice to be able to look at it now and see where that seed has gone and how it's grown. But in the moment, you don't know. You don't, you don't, you don't know how they're going to take it. You don't know how they're going to receive it. But, it, but it, it's, it, they're not going to fail on my part. It's not going to be because I didn't warn them. It's not going to be because I didn't share with them. It's not going to be because I didn't do my job. You say, yeah, but you know, you're the pastor. You're supposed to do stuff like that. Yeah, we're all we're all called to pastor people. We're all called to mentor people. Pastoring is just a fancy way of saying mentoring and discipling and loving and investing in people. So my question to you is: Has your heart been turned? Who are you focusing on? God help you if you're just focusing on yourself. You know, I've changed locations a few times in my life. You know, in 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 pastoring, sometimes you go you go from you know one area to another area to pastor. You know, I've moved I've moved from West Texas to East Texas, back to West Texas to Nebraska to here. And every time, you know, I have to I have to change my focus. I have to find I have to find new people to invest my life in. It's kind of rough, you know, starting over. It really is. And uh, now I, I'm not. It's not so much, you know, starting over in a different area of the country with a different church. I don't want. To, I don't want to ever do that again. I for sure don't ever want to start another church. I'm. I'm still starting this one. And uh, that's not where my focus is anymore. I told you where my focus is. I find individuals. I was preaching somewhere. I think it. I think it was in Honduras, and we had this huge, you know, packed out church building. People were everywhere, and my sermon that night was, "I am here to find one person." I'm looking for one person. And that person is in this room tonight. 
Now, I, I'm here to minister to all of you, but I'm really, I'm really looking for one person to focus my attention on. And I, I'm just wondering who that is. Maybe it's you. I pointed at this guy over here. Maybe it's you. I pointed somebody over you know, And it's like, you can hear everybody saying, oh, oh, I hope it's me. I hope I'm the one. I mean, I, I built up them being the one so much that everybody in that room wanted to be the one. And I found one. Amen. His name was Sorto. <laughs> And uh, and uh, and I and and for for 25 years I poured into that man, Louis Sorto. Y'all met him. He was a young guy when I met him. Now he's now he's turned his ministry over to his son Danny. And so the last time I was in Honduras, I was with Ken Browning, who's now the general overseer for Kingsway Fellowship. He and I went down there because we wanted to. Uh, he wanted to see the Chomlin's ministry and he wanted to see the clinic and all that because he'd been a contributor to them for a long time. And while we were there, we went to the next town over and, and visited with the Sortos and he, he got to meet Danny. Well, the first time I met Danny, he picked me up at the airport. He was a young guy. He picked me up at the airport and drove me from Tegucigalpa all the way to... Um, uh, Comayagua and you know it's about a it's about a three hour drive and he didn't say one word to me the whole way I tried to make conversation with him but he he was so timid so timid and backward he didn't say one word to me and uh, you know one time I was staying at their home and uh, uh, Danny came out and he said something in Spanish to his daddy and uh then he left the room and he said, I said, what did he say? And he said, oh, he wanted to know when the, when the, uh, when Gordito was going to leave. I said, what does Gordito mean? He says, little fat man. <laughs> Basically he came out and said, daddy, when's the little fat man going to leave? I said, little fat man, I'm a big fat man. And, and Louis said, no, no, it's a term of endearment. It's a term of endearment, you know, gordito. That's a term of endearment. But he wanted to know when I was going to leave. Well, years passed, and Danny learned Spanish. Danny got called to the ministry. Danny now pastors the church and runs the ministry, while Luis Ordo goes to the mountains and does does uh, does work in the mountain areas and. And uh, Danny's now the one who travels overseas and raises funds for the ministry. And Danny and I, uh, uh, Ken Browning and I, were able to sit across the table from Danny and his wife and pour into him. And I told Danny, I said, you know, I love your daddy. I love your mama. I poured my life into them for 25 years. But I'm turning my focus and attention to you. It's only right, you know, but you see, all these people, they're getting older. It's amazing how they get older and I stay the same. And so there's generations of them. Now Ruth has got four great grandbabies, four great grandbabies. What, three girls and one boy, is that it? Two and two. 
Two boys and two girls. And they're, and they're all like infants. Just, they've just popped out in the last couple of years. She's a great grandma. I'm still a grandpa. Because those are on her side. Right? But somebody new to focus on. So we run across we run across Christian materials for children and things, and and Ruth says we got to buy four of these. <laughs> so there, there there's a Christmas book that uh, Rick Renner is advertising about the Christmas story, and they're they're like twenty four ninety five a book, but they're hardback, they're colored, and they're made for children. And Ruth says we got to buy four of these, and I'm thinking that's a hundred bucks, and these kids. They don't even read yet. So we're, buy, we're buying them for their parents so their parents will read them to the kids so that eventually when the kids read, they'll read them themselves. Whew. But, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, it's going to happen. I mean, Ruth wants it. It's going to happen. Because we believe in it. We believe in pouring into the next generation. If we don't, Malachi chapter 4, the last verse, says if we don't, God will come and smite the earth with a curse. You know what that tells me? This is the only salvation for the earth. The only thing that is going to spare the earth, the world, in the day of God's wrath, is what we do now for the next generations. Amen. Luke one fifty says, His mercy is on those who fear Him from generation to generation. Deuteronomy 7.9 says, Therefore know that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love Him and keep his commandments. Listen, covenant and mercy is reserved for those who love God and keep his commandments. It doesn't say for everybody. If you want mercy for your family, if you want mercy and covenant for your children and grandchildren, you're going to have to obey God where they're concerned. You can't just ignore them. You can't be like like a like a New York family, you know, that you know, mom and pop just washed their hands of their family and moved to Sarasota to get away from them and renege on all their responsibilities. There are a lot of people who do that. They get to retirement age and they think, I'm done with my family. I'm done with my job. I'm done with my neighbors. I'm done with my friends. I'm going to take my money and my ball and I'm going to go play in Florida. That's not why I'm in Florida. And that's not why you're here. Amen? This isn't a retirement place for us. And it isn't a place for us to just get away from family responsibilities. Yeah, my family you know, lives in Texas and Arizona and Tennessee and Georgia. But you know what? Thank God for modern technology and the ability to travel. We are not neglecting them. Amen. Amen. Praise God. 
If I can light a fire under Brother Armour here, or Chance, or Robert, or any, any other young person that comes around, you better believe I'm going to be I'm going to be striking the matches and, and pouring on the kerosene. I, my goal in life is to see Samuel fulfill his destiny in life. He loves the Lord. He's got a solid foundation. He's been raised by a good family. He's got the Word in him. He's got everything in him. Whatever I can put in him that he doesn't have yet. I know I've got I've got a short time to do it, and so I'm I'm looking I'm looking for ways to bless him. Amen. What are you doing? See, Samuel's not just my responsibility. <laughs> All of us, Chance, Robert. You know, Robert's not here, but do you realize that his mother is against him going to church here? His mother, his Brother and sister are into, you know, the the woke gay lifestyle, and his mother would rather he be like them than like us. And she fights him and threatens him and persecutes him for wanting to come to church here. He comes in and comes in on Wednesday night. You know what he did last Wednesday night? He put. He put thirty dollars tithes in the offering. He's tithing. If his mother knew that, she'd have a fit. I'm telling you, there's something good and something wonderful about that man. He's in high school. He's got a plan when he gets out of high school to join the military and make a have a military career. So before he does that. I want to. I want to make some investments in him. I want to pour something into him. And I, I'm not. I'm not telling you that about. Don't go talking to him about his mama and all that. Don't. I don't want to embarrass him. I don't I want to humiliate him. I want him to keep coming. But you need to be aware of the rare opportunity we have to invest in a young man. I don't know how long he's going to be able to keep it up. But that young man is the salvation of his family. He's the salvation of his whole family. And we need to support him in our prayers. And, and when he walks in here, we need to treat him like, like a, the prince he is. man. Amen. And Chance, woo, Chance. My goodness, that young man impresses me. Whenever I walk up to him, he stands up. <laughs> He's got manners. Praise God. And I'm impressed. I'm impressed with him. What can we do for these people? Be, ask yourself, and don't come to me telling me what the church can do for them. You ask yourself, what can you do for them? It may be just a smile, a pat on the back. Good to see you, young man. It's good to see you. I love you. I just want you to know I'm praying for you, and I love you. Amen. Can we do that? What does that cost you? What does it cost you to smile and love on somebody and tell them you believe in them? That doesn't cost you anything. But what can it do for them? Looking back on my life as a young man with a call of God on my life, there were, there were a few people that treated me like, who do you think you are? 
There are people that actually told me that I'll never amount to anything. I mean, really. There are people told me that I'm a loser going somewhere to lose. I mean, you know, we don't need we don't need friends like that. But when I look back on my young years, I, I see I, I see the I see the faces of individuals who took time out and invested in me. They had nothing to gain from it personally. I had a Sunday school teacher give me a silver dollar every time I read fifty chapters in my Bible. He even bought me a new Bible so I could read in that new Bible. And every Sunday I'd show up, he said, How many chapters are you read? And I say, 50, 60, 100. He'd give me a silver dollar. After a year or so of that, he came to me and he said, Son, he said, I'm so proud of you for reading your Bible. But he said, I just can't afford to give you a silver dollar every time you read. He said, You're voracious. Well, I wasn't doing it for the money. I wasn't doing it for the money, but I wasn't going to turn the money down. You know? You understand? My dad did the same thing. Every time I came home with a, a, a report card, he'd give me a dollar for every A on my report card. That was back in the day. But after a while, he quit doing that because he says, you're breaking me, son. You're making too many A's. You know, but I, I understood. I did, you know, but uh, I mean, these are people who literally invested money in me. I'll never forget my Aunt Annie Olive King, a spinster. She was 25 years older than my mother. And, and when my mother was born, her mother was committed to an asylum. And they found out 25 years later that it was her thyroid causing her to act crazy. They gave her a little white pill and she got all right and they let her out of the asylum. But in those 25 years, my Aunt Annie raised my mother raised the other kids and then even turned down the marriage proposal so she could take care of her family took care of my grandpa when I started to college Annie was living with us my dad says she's done enough for this family it's time for this family to do something for her and so he he they took her into our home and my dad paid social security on her so that she could uh, Social Security taxes on her so that she, when she got old enough, she could claim Social Security. So she got a little check once a month, I think 60 or $70 Social Security check. And it was all hers because we took care of her room and board. She, that was her spending money. And when I was going off to college, my first semester in college, she pulled me aside and she said, how much do your books cost? I said, they're going to cost between $50 and $60 for a semester. Now it's $50 and $60 per book. But then I could buy all the books for my semester for $50 or $60. She handed me a $50 bill and she says, I want to invest in your ministry. And I said, oh no, I can't take your money. I can't. I, I know that's your whole month. That's your whole month right there. I can't take your money. She says, please, please. I know you're going to go out and preach the gospel. I know you're going to go around the world someday. I know you're going to win many souls to the Lord. I want to invest. So I took her $50 and bought some books. And today, she's been in heaven since 1981. But today, every place I go, every 
thing I do, any olive king has a cut of it. Amen. Her treasure pile in heaven is growing every day off of that $50. Amen. People have invested in your life. If no one else, I have. People have invested in your life. What are you doing for someone else? Freely you have received. Freely give. That's the word of the Lord. Amen. And God has covenanted with us. He said if you hurt one of these little ones, it would be better for you if a millstone were hung around your neck. Irene, do you have that picture of a millstone? There he is. See, there's a square hole for your round head. You know how much that millstone weighs? Between 1,300 and 3,500 pounds. You know what would happen if you had that thing hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea? Do you have any idea how fast you would drop to the bottom of the ocean? Do you realize that you would drown before you hit the bottom of the ocean? And when you hit the bottom of the ocean, that 3,500 pound rock would crush you and grind you to pieces. Jesus says you'd be better off if that happened to you than if you offended one of his little ones. Amen. John, would you go and get the communion elements for us and bring those down? I have waxed too eloquent this morning. Amen. We need to stop. Praise the Lord. You say, where's that, where's that scripture at about the millstone? Uh, Luke 17, verses 1 and 2. If you offend one of these little ones, it would be better for you if a millstone were hung around your neck and you were cast into the sea. Amen? Amen. If you want to be, if you want to be a member of the everlasting covenant, then you need to you need to be involved in generation to generation ministry. Amen. That's the command of the Lord. He's turning our hearts. He's focusing our attention. And when you hear rally cries like "Save the children." You need to do more than just say amen to it. You need to, you need to, you need to give towards those efforts. You need to write letters to your congressman. Who's your congressman? My congressman's John Rutherford. He's already heard from me. Who's your senators? We got two of them. They're both Republicans. One's a rhino and the other one I'm not too sure about. But they need to hear from you. About the children. About drug trafficking. Sex trafficking. Amen? They need to hear from you. You need to ask them, what are you doing about it? What are you doing about what's going on at the border? You know what's going on at the border? They're separating the children, the women and children, away from the men. They're funneling the women and children into a particular gate and there's people on the other side grabbing them up claiming to be their relatives and taking them off and no one ever hears from them again. They're, they're being fed into child and sex trafficking rings. And our government 
is standing by, knowing it's happening, letting it happen, and a millstone will be hung around the neck of the United States of America if we don't turn this thing around. That's how serious this is, folks. You think that won't affect you? You think that won't affect your children if God comes and smites this country with a curse because we're doing nothing about it? Don't let that be said about you. Do something about it. Pray. Warn. Keep your eyes open. Little kids are around you. Keep your eyes open. Make sure nobody nabs them. Don't let your cute little girl just wander down the street by herself. Or your cute little boy. The days are gone when they can just hang out all hours of the day and night. Unmolested. Amen. My son's got a beautiful daughter. And he takes her to school. He's arranged with his employer so that he'll have the opportunity. He takes her to school. He drops her off. He watches as she goes inside this secure building. And when she comes out of that building at the end of the day, he's there. And he picks her up. And he takes her home. And he's got a gun in the car. And nobody's going to mess with his little girl. I asked him, I said, well, I, I praise God. I appreciate the fact that you do that for her physical safety. But are you watching over her spiritual safety the same way? Are you watching over her mind? What's she learning in that school? What are they teaching her? He said, oh, I'm, 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 I'm staying on top of it. I'm staying on top of it. Bow your head with me. Let's just think about it. Lord, first of all, I don't want a millstone around my neck. Lord, I don't want you to bring a curse upon my land. I don't want you to smite the earth with a curse. I don't know what that curse is, but it sounds really bad. And I ask, Lord, that you turn our hearts more fully and more focused upon the next generation. Cause each one of us, Lord, to have a, a picture of someone that you've set before us. Give us an assignment. Help us, Lord, to pour into that person, those people, that group. I thank you, Lord, for organizations that do that, like Teen Challenge and like this uh, girls' home that we support here in the, the city. I thank you for these organizations that do that. But Lord, we need to personally focus on people and pour our lives into them. And I ask you to help us. And Lord, today as we take communion, we just covenant this morning in this communion to do that. Can you say amen? amen.